Well, good evening, everyone, and I want to welcome you to our Wednesday night service. Um, one of those nights when I can scarcely find saints in the assembly. Um, maybe everyone has gone to America for Thanksgiving. But we're glad that we could be here. And uh, tonight, when I look around, it reminds me of the time when COVID 19 just got started early in the year 2020. But we're glad we're here tonight. Um, some individuals are still not well. Um, I heard that Brother Sinbad um, was tested positive today. And so we want to remember to pray for them. The family, everyone else in the family was negative. And so we are dealing with a pandemic. We are dealing with um, a natural disaster around the world. It's, um, it is, what can I say, the judgment of God unleashed on society. And um, it seems that mankind still ignores uh, the basic principles. And of course, I do not expect uh, the unsaved to act like they're saved. But it is a sad day when the child of God acts like they are unsaved. But we're glad to be in church tonight. I'm glad that you're following with us. And um, uh, we want to start the service tonight in prayer. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this Wednesday night that we can come into your house. Lord, that we can open our hearts and reach reach out to your spirit to touch our minds and change us. Lord, tonight we bring those that are not well before you. We pray especially for Brother Sinbad and other saints that are not here tonight because they're sick, that you will touch them, Father, and work, a, work in their life, whatever your will is, O oh God. May that be accomplished in every one of our lives. Lord, we pray your blessed service tonight. Remember every assembly in this fellowship, especially here in North America, that will be having service tonight, that you'll be with them, O oh God, and be a blessing. Challenge our lives, we pray. Bless this worship, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. For the lighthouse, tell me where will this ship be? I thank God for the lighthouse, I owe my life to Him. For Jesus is the lighthouse, and from the rocks I 
songs together and allowing us to reach out to the Lord. As we were singing the first song tonight, I remember a scripture that I dealt with some time ago, and um, it is so important that every minister become a minister that God has approved and offer to the congregation that he pastors life. Uh, blind leaders never can see themselves as blind, but uh, their ministry will lead a lot of individuals in the ditch. Big subject. Here in, in Isaiah chapter, 50, uh, chapter 32, Isaiah is writing and he makes a statement and we dealt with this scripture just a little while ago. It says, chapter 32 and verse 1, Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness. I thought of this many a times because when a king or a leader or a president 
or a prime minister or uh, any form of leadership tries to lead not in righteousness but from a human carnal perspective the country or the society that this individual is in charge of will be ruined and um, it is sad that we live in that day where the ungodly influence has a strong influence on our political leaders and because uh, democracy is I, I described as the tail wagging the dog and the feet doing the thinking political leaders have a tendency to please the people and if the people are unsafe then the majority of the political leaders will be dancing if I can use that human terminology to the music of the people and that is sad and that is why we pray that the Lord Jesus returns and establishes the kingdom of God on this earth we really really honestly believe that he will do that uh, he will return and as we get towards uh, closer uh, to Christmas season uh, it is that time when uh, we are thinking about the return of Christ and the establishment of God's kingdom on this earth um, uh, we are heading into Christmas and uh, I was listening to a tape today that um, was titled uh, the Christmas Carol uh, the, the kingdom carol not the Christmas carol but the kingdom carol and in that in that uh, tape um, that I listened to today it was a little bit hazy like a little bit uh, rusty like you know like um, the voice was not as clear and distinct but I talked about uh, Isaac Watts I think it was that wrote that Christmas what we call today Christmas carol uh, he wrote the, the carol, popular Christmas carol, Joy to the World. And I remember speaking in that um, uh, particular message and addressing the concept, the joy to the world, the carol that is so commonly sung in the world has nothing to do with Christmas. But it, it speaks of the return of Christ and the establishment of God's kingdom here on this earth I don't want to spend tonight talking about that but uh, we can just uh, touch it a little bit when the scripture says uh, when this uh, carol says and I call it a kingdom carol it's not a Christmas carol it says joy to the world the Lord is come let earth receive her king and that will happen in the second advent when Jesus returns to establish the throne of David on this earth. Uh, we remember, if we can reflect back, uh, when the angel Gabriel approached Mary and he told her that the Holy Spirit will come over her and she'll conceive and bear a son and call his name Jesus. Uh, he shall be great and shall be called uh, not only having an earthly father, but he shall be called the son of the highest. Um, and the Lord God shall give to him the throne of his father David. Right there 
in that little bit of scripture, he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest, which means the father. And the Lord God, the father, will give to him the throne of his earthly father, uh, David. So Jesus, while he was on this earth, he had two fathers. One was a heavenly father that created his conception. And one was not biologically um, his father, but uh, biologically appeared to be his father because uh, Joseph was the, was the husband of Mary and Jesus was born from Mary. So on earth, he had a father, an earthly father, that did not biologically beget him. But he was his dad. Uh, he was a part of the family, and it was not easy, I'm sure, for Joseph to accept the fact that his wife was pregnant before she got married. It was not the nicest situation to deal with at that time. However, that carol is talking about the kingdom carol, and if you have time, you can go and find the carol and read it, and has nothing to do with Christmas, um, as like, like, um, like I've said over and over again, Christmas has nothing to do with Christ um, in reality. But joy to the world, the Lord is come, let earth receive her king. Let every single heart prepare him room, and not only heaven, but nature will sing. The curse will be lifted from off this earth. There'll be no more death, there'll be no more sorrow, but the kingdom of God would be established. Well, there come a time when uh, Isaiah chapter 32 would seem to be in its total fulfillment. It says here, Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness. What a day that will be when a prime minister reigns in righteousness, when a president reigns in righteousness, when a king reigns in righteousness. It says, And princes shall rule in proper judgment, uh, they will not just be up there like little jokers in authority, but they will rule according to proper judgment. They will have God's judgment. They will judge a matter not after the seeing of their eyes or the hearing of their ear, like Isaiah the 11 chapter tells, but they will do righteous judgment. Hold your finger in Isaiah chapter 32, and back up a little with a little bit me here uh, to Isaiah chapter 11, which speaks about this Jesus when he returns back. And uh, when he comes back, it says, And there shall come forth a rod, he's called the rod, out of the stem of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. Uh, Jesse was uh, the lineage of... Uh, when we look back at David where he's coming from and we look back at Jesus where he's coming from, they all go back to the seed of David. And um, a branch, he's called a branch, shall grow up, uh, grow out of his roots. And it tells us here about the seven spirits of God resting upon him. Uh, the verse 2 tells you about the seven spirits of God resting upon him. When you read the book of Revelation... Uh, you'll find that there are seven spirits uh, uh, before the throne of God. And here, if I could try my best to explain this, 
It says here in verse 2, And the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Ghost, Spirit number 1, the Spirit of the Lord, number 1, shall rest upon him. The Spirit of Wisdom, number 2, the Spirit of Understanding, number 3, the Spirit of Counsel, number 4, the Spirit of Might, number 5, the Spirit of Knowledge, number 6, and finally, the spirit of the fear of the Lord shall rest upon him. Uh, Zechariah says, upon one stone shall be seven eyes. Uh, Jesus will have the full effects. He, would have the, he will have all seven spirits of God resting on him. And that happened when he resurrected and he was declared to be the son of God with the fullness of sonship declared to be the Son of God with the fullness of sonship. And that was when the Lord says, Thou art my beloved Son, this day, the resurrection day of Christ. This day have I begotten you. Uh, he's not only, he's not now Son of Man, but he's Son of God in totality. And so uh, this would be what will happen. When he will reign like that, it says in verse 3, and, and shall make him, God shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, the main most important thing for Jesus to have in his life is the fear of God. Not being frightened of God, but respect and honor for God. The fear of the Lord. If we have the fear of the Lord in our day today, uh, we, would, um, we would have a church backed up here on a Wednesday night. It does not exist like it should. Uh, people find a reason and an excuse not to. And it is no new phenomenon. Like, you know, we're just experiencing that today. Oh, it has always been like that in the earth. And um, it says, and God shall... Uh, and he shall judge, not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. And in other words, when Jesus will sit on the throne of David, you run and tell him something. He does not judge based on what you tell him. He does not judge based on what he sees. He sees someone look sad and so you make a judgment. No, he judges righteous judgment. He will judge according to the dictates of his father. And he will judge righteous judgment. It says in verse 4, read verse 3 again. And God will make him of quick understanding in the sight, in the, in the fear and understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness. Uh, shall he judge the poor? Righteousness. When you're judging individuals with righteousness, you'll never err in judgment. You'll never make the wrong judgment. You'll never draw conclusion that should not be drawn. He will, uh, with righteousness, shall he judge the poor and will correct individuals with the equity uh, he will reprove with the equity for the meek of the earth. With equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth. The judgments of God that will come from him is the rod of his mouth. 
which is the Word of God. Sometimes it says Scripture describes him as having a sword coming out of his mouth, and sometimes he is described as a rod coming out of his mouth. The rod that will establish the kingdom. Uh, he will judge the world with a rod of righteousness. And so this is really beautiful. Um, it says, verse 5, And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. What a, what a ruler to have. I pray more than ever, O oh Lord Jesus, come quickly and establish the kingdom on this earth. This is not a fantasy. This is the hope of every child of God. And that is what Watts was writing about when he says, Joy to the world. Let every heart receive him. Uh, prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. Uh, the whole earth is groaning right now. Paul made that statement. Waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. A beautiful area of the word of God. It says, um, And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. And in that period of time, when Jesus will rule and govern this world, uh, the animal carnivorous nature of animal life will change. Uh, the plant life would continue to live. You wouldn't have a, a plant dying. You wouldn't have diseases existing anymore on this earth. It says, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The wolf will not, will lose his carnivorous nature and would not devour the lamb. The wolf and the lamb shall dwell together. The leopard shall lie down with the kid, the little goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. That's how, you see, you try to paint a picture, you try to imagine how this is all going to be, and it's a wonderful thing to have. I pray to God that we have just quarter of righteousness in a leader today, and this world will have a whole different uh, situation altogether. Just quarter of the righteousness, but we're hoping for the kingdom of God to be established and to come and to develop. And it goes on, it says, the reason why, verse 9 says, the reason why they will not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth of the Lord, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. Now, what will happen when your heart uh, is filled with the knowledge of God? It changes your attitude to humanity. It does change your attitude to humanity. And because you're radiating a different uh, spirit and a different life, it does make a difference with the people you encounter on a daily basis. I would like to mention this experience I had today. And um, I, thought it was, I thought it was wonderful because I went to Metro today and I walked into the store and I'm picking up items. And I circle around the corner where they had a flower shop. And this lady was unpacking. She had just unpacked flowers from the box. And she stood up and she turned and looked at me. And she says, my favorite person has arrived. I never spoke to her. I can't remember ever speaking to her. But Chandri says, knowing you, you must have said something to her sometime. But she said, 
it is so wonderful when she said, my favorite person has arrived. And I turned to see if anybody else was behind me. No, it was me. And that is what God wants. I wish the time would come when every turn you make, you're there to be a blessing to someone. The only time someone will not like you is when they're possessed and when evil lies in their heart and when they're concealing sin and evil in their lives, uh, they will, will not like you. When someone has an attitude against the word, it is a problem. It will be a problem. And so uh, this is such a beautiful scripture. When the knowledge of God covers the earth, it eliminates every prejudice and every evil attitude to the individuals around you. And that is what we're hoping for. When we think of this season, this season, that is that Christians as well as unsaved individuals and the world is making a mockery of God during the Christmas season. They're making a mockery of God because they're blaspheming his name uh, during this period of time. The very term Christmas, uh, when you cherish that term, you're, you're actually blaspheming the name of Christ. To say mass for Christ is blasphemy. And so when we think about this, this is what we're hoping for. We're hoping for the kingdom of God to come and to be established. And I have your finger in chapter 32 of Isaiah. But I want to turn forward here to the book of Romans for a moment here. When Paul is writing to the church of Rome, he, had, he did not go to the church at Rome as yet. But he's writing to the church at Rome. And he's talking about how miserable it is we are as human beings. In chapter 7, he speaks about how, how the whole book, the whole epistle that Paul wrote here is beautiful. Um, chapter 1, he condemns the backsliding uh, Gentiles that were supposed to be saved. And uh, they're... Re, uh, they're uh, returning back to their past lifestyle. And here is a verse that is very sad. In chapter 1, verse 18, he says, uh, Paul is writing, he says, For the wrath of God, not chastisement, the wrath of God. And this is sad because this is said against children of God. See, wrath of God is when God gives you up. He exercises wrath against you. When you're a child of God, he chastises you. When you come to that place that the child of God has backslidden and drifted, and drifted so far, contrary to God's way, his wrath must be executed against you. And Paul writes, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, all ungodliness. Now what is ungodliness? For a moment here, ungodly is to be anything unlike what God wants you to be. It does not mean you're drinking booze and gambling and cussing. Ungodly can be you're going to church and doing exactly what God does not want you to do. Ungodly means you're unlike what God wants. They have ungodly Christians. They have ungodly sinners. And it says the wrath of God is 
revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now, these men I'm about to talk about here uh, to mention in this chapter are children of God, supposedly. They're in church, but they're not really children of God. But they had a little religion given to them. They hold uh, the unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. You see, unrighteousness is doing anything contrary to righteousness that God abhors. Just like ungodly, the same thing goes for unrighteousness. If it's not righteous, it is unrighteous. And it could be unrighteous so much that it becomes sinful. And that is why children of God today are led astray so easily. Because we have the truth. But brothers saying, you know, we've got the truth. One of the purposes of the word of God is to change your life. And to have you live according to the principles of God and what he wants you to live. How he wants you to live. To hold the truth and glory in it. Well, we've got the truth right. We've got the Godhead right. We've got men in the past that led us to where we are. Listen, the men in the past have to give account to God for themselves. If they did right, they'll receive their reward. If they did wrong, they'll receive their reward. You and I today have to please God in this day that we're living in. And I could say I have the truth. Well, I have the truth of the kingdom. Now, let me name some of these things. Uh, the truth. I can have the truth of the Godhead. So much that it exalts me. I like to argue with a Trinitarian or a oneness apostolic person. I could have the truth about the doctrine of hell. I could have truth about the mortality or immortality of the soul. I could have truth about baptisms. I could have truth that deals with justification and sanctification. That deals with election. But if I have all of that truth, and I'm here tonight promoting that truth to you, but my life is one of unrighteousness, I am holding the truth in unrighteousness. Now, I'm going to run that again to you. If I, a part of the body of Christ tonight, that have all the truth in my life that I know the theologically, I'm correct. You can never win an argument with me because theologically, I've got the doctrines right. But if my life is contrary to godliness, and I live in unrighteousness and ungodliness, I'm not talking about your foot slip or your humanity comes uh, to play. Paul took about 35 years before he could reach to the place where he says, I'm now ready to be offered. I'm saying that you might be working on it, but if you're slowly declining yourself and slowly drifting back into a way contrary to God, like these people in, Gen in uh, uh, Romans 1 are doing, you're holding the truth in unrighteousness. And that is why I'm glad for Christmas. I'm glad for Easter. 
I'm glad for all these pagan celebrations so I can see the children of God who are still pagan and are drifting back into apostasy and are holding the truth in unrighteousness. And here's the sad part of it. The wrath of God will be revealed against everyone that holds the truth in unrighteousness. The negatives are given to us to test our brass. Is that a good word? Good terminology? To test our caliber of Christian, Christian living. The negatives, the devil, and all that's negative is given to us to test our obedience to God. You can never say the devil made me do it. You did it because you wanted to do it. And when the negatives are come, we need the negatives. How did I get on this object? And then uh, here, uh, wrath of God is revealed. Chapter 1 talks about the ungodly. Uh, the children of God who got saved and are returning back like a dog to the vomit. When God has washed you and saved you, and um, I've got your finger in, uh, remember I'm coming back, I must close with Isaiah chapter 32. I must close with that scripture tonight. Remind me, right? I'm coming back there. <clears throat> but um, uh, I have my finger in Romans chapter 1. And I'm turning here uh, to Peter. The epistle of Peter. Uh, Peter was writing in this beautiful epistle of Peter. And he says here. He says, um, let me see. In chapter... Uh, chapter of Second Peter, chapter, uh, chapter, uh, chapter two in Second Peter, Peter is writing and he talks about iniquity, uh, about individuals who were judged for their iniquity. He says, uh, talking about children of God here, he says, for when they speak great swelling words, chapter two, verse eighteen. Uh, always describing ungodly people. He says, these are wells without water. <clears throat> the water here speaks of the Holy Spirit. And to be a well without water, it could be that you've got a lot of knowledge, but you don't have the Holy Spirit. You're a well without water. You don't, the water signifies the Spirit of God, the genuine one, not the fake, not to put on. Uh, the genuine Holy Spirit. They're carried as a tempest to whom the, the mist of darkness is reserved forever. Uh, when, you're, uh, uh, when you are wells without water and clouds, your clouds, any old wind comes, blows, your, blows you to a different direction. Uh, somebody come up with a different celebration, you get involved. Um, you know, sometimes I feel like I really don't belong to this planet. Uh, because every day I turn the news on and they aggravate me. I, I, you know, change the channel and they aggravate me. And, and you know, maybe, maybe I'm weird. Maybe I'm the, the guy that's weird. But um, when you turn, can people get anything better to do than just waste a lot of time? Uh, can we just get the news? Can we stop making noise? I used to listen to CP24. But I never find another channel that makes so much noise. 
There's always music, heavy music and rhythm in the background. And it drives you crazy. Can someone come on and give me the news with some tranquility and calmness? And you, you think about it. Anyways, let me not harp on that. Uh, but here Peter is talking about individuals that are wells without water, clouds that every tempest can send them to a different direction, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. God condemned these individuals that Peter is talking about. They're like Romans 1. And when they speak, speak great, great swelling words, we all listen to me today, God, I feel God in this place. You know, like, Come on, how does he feel? Well, he trembles, he trembles in my spine. Is that how he feels? What would you say to Peter and, and Silas when they were in the jailhouse in Philippi? They felt God. They got lashes on their back, but they felt God. But it was not a boisterous, emotional outburst of fickleness. It was God that worked in their hearts. And Paul turned to Silas and he says, let's sing praises to God. And they start to praise God with every reason not to praise God. And as they worship God, the God shook that prison. They were not shaking it. God shook it. Today, there's so much emotionalism. I've got to try to talk to impress you. I don't have to impress you. I want to preach a word of God to save you. If I can preach a word of God to save you, that's what I want. To change your life. To get rid of evil from your life and my life in the process. And Peter is talking about these people that are backsliding. Swelling words of vanity. They can tell you how much they got, how much they own. Uh, big talk. Preachers. I'm talking about preachers. It says, they allure you through lust of the flesh. They try to, they can't get you with the gospel and simple preaching the, God, the gospel. They'll come up to something to entice your lust. And that is why when I'm looking back as where, at where we are coming from, when we started, when Brother Souders, William Souders started, really on the banks of the Ohio River, he, he was very sincere and dedicated. He didn't have all his doctrines right, but he was dedicated and his life was right. He was a simple man that lived a simple life and his life was right. But as it moved on, the work of God moved on, it became a target for the devil. And all kinds of things were introduced mechanically to make us look good without living good. To make us look like Christians on the outside, but maybe on the inside we were not as dedicated and committed to God. We need to examine ourselves on a daily basis. And Paul, as Peter is writing here, he says, when they promise liberty, while they promise individuals, uh, oh my, I'm, I'm, tr I'm trying to skip some verses here. Verse 19, when they promise the people listening to them, liberty, come on, let Christ set you free. There's liberty in Christ. They themselves are servants of corruption. And I pray because I'm not completely innocent from areas in my own life that I pray that God would help me with. But I'm doing a whole lot better than I used to do. 
But the day I bring a Christmas tree and put it in this church, you run like crazy out of here. Because I'm gone. I'm intoxicated. I'm not building this church to please the kids. I'm hoping to save our kids. We try to do that. We try to have Christmas concerts and all kinds of stuff. It did not save them. Did it? No, it doesn't save. The Holy Ghost in the service will save individuals. And adults need to be saved. Christians need to be saved. Uh, women, men need to be saved. Ministers need to be saved. Elders need to be saved. Because we have a lot of root of bitterness that is sitting in our lives that belong to whatever we belong to in the past. And Peter went on. He says, they promise you liberty, but they themselves are servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, the same is he brought into bondage. What? Listen to me tonight. Are you in bondage to every, anything in this world that you can give up? Oh, you can't do that overnight. But are you purposely submitting yourself to things in this world that you become an addict to? And you become a slave to? May God help us. Because you could, you, you could serve the Lord to the best of your ability to create that impression. But deep inside, we've got to be free from sin and spiritual bondage. And it is sad that these people that Peter is writing about were once in the church, but backslid while staying in church, while still preaching the gospel. And it says, and after they have escaped, verse, um, verse 20, and if, if, and if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and the Savior Jesus Christ, and again entangled therein, if you were once doing it, and you find you're drifting back into doing it again, you're, and you're overcome, your latter end would be worse than the first end. Because, you see, what will happen, listen to me carefully, what will happen when you hear the truth? If I'm preaching a message tonight and it aggravates you, uh, it's either I'm full of the devil or you are. Amen. You've got to figure it. If I'm preaching a message, and if I'm preaching a message, and it's upsetting you, it's either I am possessed or you are. So figure it out. But if I'm preaching the truth, and you reject it, and you reject it again, and you don't really even care to hear, listen to what I say, God will send you strong delusions that you believe a lie, not the truth. You'll believe a lie and you'll be damned. The Father, the omnipotent God, the omniscient Father that's beyond our comprehension, He will send you strong delusions that you believe a lie and be damned. So people that are making fun of what I preach and people that are taking the messages I preach lightly, their blood is not on my hand, but it would be on their own heads, heads and hands. And Peter went on. He says, if they have gone back, their latter end is worse than the first. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than 
after they have known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. That is sad. When you become a part of the church, church and you're exposed to truth, and then you backslide. I'm glad for those of you sitting here tonight listening to me. You're free from problems, right, Sister Dorothy? No, but I'm glad you're here. Sister Cindy, you're free from problems, right? No. Sister Cindy, you must be perfect. No, we are all having problems. But the beautiful thing is, we stick it out. Amen. We don't give it up. Amen. How long does it take? Well, Paul took 40 years, 35 years. Stephen took shorter, and that's fine. But what about Moses? 40 years God took to undo Egypt from him. And when God was finished with the 40 years, God gave him all these rebels among the Jews and took another 40 years to get Moses out of Moses. See, it's one thing to get Egypt out of Moses. It was another thing to get Moses out of Moses. <clears throat> Tonight, I'm preaching, hoping to get you out of you. That deep root of bitterness. And while I'm preaching, don't worry, I'm preaching to myself. And Paul's uh, Peter and he says, it as, But it happened unto them according to the true proverb, The dog has gone back to his own vomit, and the pig has gone back to the walling in the mud, in the mire. And so, back here in Romans, uh, we come back into Romans, i got ten minutes. Bear up with me here tonight. Uh, back in Romans, we come back here. In chapter 1, he deals with the, uh, with the, uh, the, the pagan individuals, the Gentiles who are getting saved and returning to their past lifestyle, practicing and, and accommodating evil in their life. Chapter 2, he's dealing with the self-righteous Jews uh, who are condemning the Gentiles but are doing the same thing. Isn't that sad? Chapter 3, verse 10, he says, as it is written, there's none righteous. So don't boast ourselves up. We all, he deals with all mankind. We are, none of us are born righteous. We all need God. And then he comes here in chapter, in chapter 7 of Romans, and he deals with all of this element in chapter 7 to do with the fallen nature uh, with uh, the law of God is holy, but we are unholy. He talks in chapter 7, he says in verse 10, he says in verse 8, he says, But sin taken occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. Uh, for without the law, sin was dead. I didn't know sin, but when the law came, I discovered that the preaching is telling me about my problems, and I became conscious of my own rebellion. Verse 10, and the commandment which was ordained to life. God's law meant to give us life. God's not evil. <clears throat> Obedience to the commandment will make you like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Well, I'm having my leaf withered. Well, what are you feeding on? That's why. You know, I've got a little, some plants dung in the front uh, room downstairs there, and I don't feed them coke. I give them water. And Indy was telling me that she watered my little plant in the front. What's that plant name? I don't even know. And I said, don't do that. Don't water my plant because it takes. She said, no, I just give a little. I said, a little is all it takes. One spoonful of water that plant in the front room takes. One spoonful. 
once a week. It lives without water. You put a pour water inside and it dies. And so we're thinking about the law of God was meant to give us life, not death. And then Paul went on, uh, Paul went on here and he talked about uh, verse 12. He says the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good, but we're the ones evil. In verse, um, in, in verse um, 24, he says, O wretched man that I am, fallen nature, evil man, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? And then he went on to say we are delivered by Jesus. And because God is delivering every one of us one at a time, the kingdom has some possibility. And then he goes on here and talks in chapter 8 about how we need to have the Spirit of God working in our lives. He talked about a carnal mind is enmity against God. And then you come down in chapter 8 towards the latter part. He says, I reckon, verse 18, I reckon that the suffering of this present time, we're suffering in this present time, is not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. That's at the resurrection and the establishment of God king, God's kingdom. He says, for the earnest expectation of creation is waiting for the kingdom of God to be established when uh, this mortal shall put on immortality and 144,000 overcomers will be resurrected and be placed on this earth. It will be joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king, not only one king, but 144,000 over individuals, overcomers sitting and ruling with Christ. The whole earth is groaning right now, waiting for the manifestation. It says, for the creature was subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him that is subjected the same to hope. God has a plan. It meant that man fall in sin. It meant that Jesus come and die for man. It meant that we accept Christ in our life and we have all the negatives around us that we become overcomers. And Paul went on here, he says, because the creature uh, also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. Right now we are corrupted. Right now there's death and destruction and disaster all around us. He says, uh, but we shall be delivered into the glorious liberty of the children of God. He says in verse 22, for we know that the whole creation is groaning. The whole creation, plant life animal life, fish life, bird life. Everything is groaning. Humanity is groaning. But we got the Holy Ghost brothers saying, hold on a minute. Verse 23. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, we also groan. I speak in tongues, but I groan. I, I'm trembling under the influence of God. But I groan because there's aches and pains. And after a while, I'll die. I'll cease to exist. We're not going to be around forever. But the hope we have is beyond this life. And Paul says, we groan, waiting for what? The manifestation, uh, the redemption of the body. We are waiting for the redemption of the body. For we are saved by hope. Amen? So here in Isaiah chapter 32, a king shall reign in righteousness. 
There's coming a time when leaders will be righteous. There's coming a time when Christ establishes kingdom. And we can all sing that carol. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive our king. Let every single heart. Your neighbor would have Christ. The man down the street would have Christ. Because after a thousand years. Sin would be removed. Evil would be removed. And the knowledge of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. When the knowledge of God cover your heart, you change your attitude. If you claim that you're saved and you have an attitude, you're not saved. But as you have the knowledge of God reaching on in, that's why live on the word of God. Play it and live it. Don't only play the, the tapes, live it. Use every negative opportunity uh, as a good reason for you to manifest the, the obedience to the word of God. Love your enemies. Pray for them that despitefully use you. Bless and don't curse. That's how you got to do it. I've got a family that I can't afford to die and leave. So I accommodate some rebellion still in my life. Because I'm getting to that place. There might come a time that says I'm now ready to be offered. Until that time I'm going to be on this planet. But it's closer today than it ever was. The end line. You can see the finish line. Just ahead. Closer today than it ever was. Somebody says don't talk like that. Well. The prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. And he, uh, scripture went on. When that kingdom of God is established, a man shall be a hiding place from the wind. Partly in this world, this can happen. A true minister call of God can manifest this in his life. Not handling the word of God deceitfully. I wish I had more time to talk to you because there's a scripture, Bob, playing on my mind right now. Um, let, me, let me turn quickly to that. Give me five minutes more of your time. I'm thinking of a scripture in 2 Corinthians that I read uh, recently uh, where Paul is talking when he writes 2 Corinthians. He's talking about the God of all comfort. Uh, chapter 1, verse 2, 3, 4, and 5 Talking about how God will comfort us so we can turn around and comfort other individuals. I'll probably get into this some other time. But chapter 2 and verse, verse 17, he says, We are not, for we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. Paul did not corrupt the word of God. I cannot take scripture and manipulate scripture. To justify a bit of my rebellion. I must handle the word of God correctly. Don't corrupt the word of God. But as sincerity. But as of God. In the sight of God. Speak we in Christ. I'm speaking as if I'm in Christ. Chapter 4. Verse 1. Therefore seeing we have this ministry. As we have received mercy. We faint not. Verse 2. We have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. When a minister stands in the pulpit or an elder stands in the pulpit and he preaches a different gospel than his life, 
he might be handling the word of God deceitfully. Don't ever pray that we never handle the word of God deceitfully. As I sit here talking to you tonight, there is not one scripture I like to twist to suit my own fancies. Don't use the word of God corruptedly for your life as well as my life. He says we are not, we have this given, renounce the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And he goes on for it around, but I don't have time for that because I told you five minutes more and one, two minutes is already gone. Three left. Chapter 32. Um, and when the kingdom of God is established, I'm looking forward. May God establish the kingdom. A verse to a man shall be a hiding place from the wind. Uh, when the wind is rocking your boat, he's like a covert from the tempest. You can meet a man and he's not going to condemn you and everyone else is condemning you. He gives you a fighting chance. He wouldn't compromise with your hypocrisy, but he will understand that, that it takes time for God to work in your life. Amen? Rivers of water in a dry place and a shadow of a great rock in a weary land. That is how the kingdom of God will be established when rulers will reign in righteousness. May God help us today that some rulers that are left on this world, in this world will not just dance to the music of the ungodly, but may God put some clarity in some lives and it's not seemingly happening so we pray even so come Lord Jesus let's pray father we thank you tonight for this time we spent in your house Lord the hope that we have in our hearts Lord is for the establishment of your kingdom for the return of your son Jesus for this earth to be transformed into the glorious paradise of God Help us, Lord, to be meek. For by having a meek and quiet spirit, we shall inherit the earth. Take away rebellion from our lives. Oh, God, help me not to handle the word of God deceitfully. Help raise up ministers today that will understand the truth will prevail. Lord, for if we preach the truth and hold it in unrighteousness, your wrath, we understand, would be revealed against us. Save us, O oh God, by your mercy and your grace, we ask in Jesus' name. Thank you again for this service. Amen and amen.